You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. So uh, we come to uh, God's Word, 1 Timothy 2, um, 8 to 15. And 1 Timothy, um, all about how we are to uh, behave in the household of God. That's 1 Timothy 3, uh, where Paul says, If I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So reading from verse 8 of chapter 2, Paul writes, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Well, 1 Timothy, as I've said, is all about how we are to behave in the household of God. And one of the very striking things uh, to the modern reader, and probably to the ancient reader as well, is how these verses address men and women differently and distinctly. And I suppose of all the pages in the Bible that someone might want to sort of rip out and throw away, some of these pages from 1 Timothy would be pretty high on the list. I mean, they do have something to offend everyone, don't they? We've already offended the the homosexuals in chapter 1, and here we are offending the women. And so um, as we we look at these things, um, it certainly means we... It's a controversial topic, and we um, have to deal with them carefully. Actually, at the core of the passage, it even deals with the topic of uh, authority and submission, a topic which really needs to be handled very carefully. But we do need to study these texts um, and not back away from them, because actually what the Bible teaches here about the the godly order of, of the church as the household of God is actually such an important message for our own age and for our own day. And I hope we'll sort of see that and get a sense of that as we go through the passage, as we we see this little chunk of text in the context of what Paul is really driving at. 
Uh, so we're going to look at the text uh, really in two parts. We look at uh, these different commands, verses 8 to 10. This command for the, the men to pray and the women there to adorn themselves with good works. And then uh, these different roles, verses 11 to 15, where he looks at uh, the, the, the role of, of the women there. And then we're going to stand back at the end and just remind ourselves of the old overall con- uh, context of this, where Paul is really looking at uh, the church as one household, which is to lift out the, the gospel to a needy world. But before we get into the text, before we get to verse 8, I think it's, it's worth just standing back and see that what Paul is saying here about men and women is coming out of really a, a, an understanding of the goodness and the reality of God's creation order. Okay, we'll see that as we come to the text, but we'll see that elsewhere in 1 Timothy. So one of the issues in Ephesus is that false teachers were coming into the church and they were denying the goodness of God's creation order. They were saying, look, if you really want to be spiritual, actually what you need to do is sort of leave behind marriage leave behind having children, and sort of escape to a more spiritual plane. It seemed to be an early form of Gnosticism, which says that actually the body and the physical world is somehow bad, and what we need to do is escape from that. So if you've got your Bible, you might have a look at uh, chapter 4, or just listen to these words of Paul. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some speaking of the false teachers, will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons who forbid marriage and require abstinence. They've got to give up um, abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And he writes this, for everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. See what he's saying there? He's affirming the goodness of God's creation order. That is the food we eat, the food we're looking forward to for Sunday lunch. Uh, That includes our, our bodies as men and women. We're created good from the beginning. So the creation is fallen, and yet Paul is affirming the goodness of this, in the face of false teaching, which is coming in and actually wanting to say, no, 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 we need to escape uh, the physical reality of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And although Gnosticism is sort of an an ancient idea, we can see in many ways forms of Gnosticism uh, are are alive and well in the world today. Um, So many, for instance, would want to argue that our biological sex has got uh, nothing actually to say about who we are as men and women. And we've seen in the the press almost daily people wanting to pull this apart and distinguish between these two things. That that what is relevant really is how we feel inside. That is what determines uh, what we can be. Um, And so we see this uh, particularly in in the transgender movement, don't we? It's really an escape to deny the importance or significance of uh, the created reality that we live in. And this this turns up in interesting places. Um, There's a a page on the UN Women site, um, and they they have this call to reject the binary, reject uh, male and female, 
as those are sort of binary oppressive terms. And then they reference something called the, the genderbred person, which I, I tend to get it wrong. I tend to call it the genderbred man, which is not, not the point, is it? Um, which is a, a diagram which asserts that gender identity is associated with the brain, uh, while sex is related to one's genitals, just to our physical bodies. And they, they, they separate these two things. And it's, it's a bit strange it's under the UN Women page rather than the UN person or the UN human page and, and the feminists don't like this sort of thing do they because uh, they say no a, a man can't just say he's a woman so our, in our own age almost daily in the news we see this thing but there's a sort of a, a Gnostic tendency there which is to say that our, who we are as, as, as men and women in terms of our physical creation doesn't really matter we need to transcend these things and escape from these things so we go from saying men and women are the same equal in value to really saying there's no difference between them. Men can do what women can do, men can do, women can do what men can do, men can be men, women can be women. So we see these things uh, that are alive in the world today and Paul is addressing something similar in Ephesus, saying no, 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 actually our create, creational realities of who we are as men and women actually matters and it actually matters for forming godly households and raising godly children, and actually for being a godly community as the church of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons we are not to back away from these texts. People, the, the, the world will want to pour scorn and heap scorn and caricature all these texts and say, well, Paul's this terrible misogynist. And it's, but but we're actually, we need to actually come up and look more closely at some of them and try and understand what he is saying. And I think if we do that... And if the word of God will then shape us, and shape our homes, and shape our church in a positive way, then we can actually hold out the word of life in our culture. So, I haven't got to my first point yet, um, but it's here. We have these different commands. Verse 8. Um, verse 8. I desire that in every place the men should pray. This follows on from what Paul has said in the last few verses. There's one God, one mediator. Therefore, we pray not for a few narrow concerns, but for the whole world. I desire that in every place. So he's talking about public worship here. Um, he thinks the women should pray. We clearly see that later. The widows are praying day and night. He's talking about public worship. And in every place. So it's not just Jewish men in the temple in one place, but in every place under the sun, as the gospel goes out, as households are called to faith, as communities of Christians around the world, all around the world, the men are to pray and to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or quarreling. So this is positive command. And lifting up holy hands was a posture of prayer in the scriptures. Think of Solomon lifting up his hands in prayer. There are other postures. But it's, uh, there's a condition. It's got to be holy hands. And the contrast is, is not, uh, it's not uh, hands lifted up or often lifted up uh, to strike and to, to force your own way. And men who are fighting. And Paul's got this in view. Uh, one of the things to be a leader in the church, he, he says later, they're not to be brawlers or those who fight. So he's got that in view. Actually lifting up hands uh, in prayer without anger and without quarrelling and the, the root of the word anger is actually to do with um, a plant swelling with juice so that that human emotion when you begin to get angry and you feel it rising in you um, that is anger often our, our sinful anger so the men who are lead in prayer are those who are put away and repent of their anger and their wrath and their harshness and God actually says in the Bible that if, if the men who lead in worship 
are violent or harsh, or sinfully angry, that God will not listen to their prayers. Okay, so we get this, Isaiah, listen to these words, Isaiah 1.15. God says, this is to the, the people leading worship in those days, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. And you will not listen to those prayers. And actually, did you know, husbands, if you are harsh with your wives, uh, your prayers will be hindered. That's what, what the Bible says. So 1, uh, 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, dwell with your wives with knowledge and understanding, giving honour to the wife uh, as unto the weaker vessel, speaking of physical strength there, um, being heirs together with the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay. Husbands, if you're harsh with your wife, you need to repent of that. It'll hinder your prayers. And so um, God wants to see godly men praying in homes and in the assembly. So what, he, what Paul doesn't want to see is men leading their prayer, and when they get home in their families, they are bullies, and, and they're harsh, or they strike, perhaps, with their words. Um, if not physically. Holy hands also, I think, refers to hands free from sexual immorality. Um, and think of Timothy. He said, you know, treat younger women in the church with absolute purity. Uh, Timothy is not to be like some of the priests of old. Like you think of Eli, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who, who prayed and, and did the public worship thing, but actually their lives were corrupt and they were uh, abusing really the women uh, involved in worship. So there are these conditions, uh, but let's not lose the positive command here. Be godly and pray. So men, lead your households in prayer. Um, don't leave it all to the wives. Um, but this is specifically for, for public worship, leading a church. The men who are to be praying are to be men who are godly. That is the, the call here. That is what Paul was calling those there uh, in Ephesus, what he wanted to see. People free from um, hypocrisy. He wanted to see this authentic, godly community. And likewise, women. And this is the, the, the interesting bit, isn't it? Likewise. You'd think, if you're saying uh, men should pray, likewise, women. What do you expect to happen next? You expect to hear, likewise, women pray. That would be likewise, wouldn't it? But he doesn't say that. And so we need to think about what he's driving at here with why is this likewise actually likewise? And I think the answer is he's looking for this godly community. So likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, self-control, not with braided hair, gold or pearls, or costly attire. Well, what he's talking about here really is excessive and elaborate uh, displays of status and wealth. So in the ancient world, they would, they would sort of put the you know, gold and diamonds dribbled in the head. You could show your excessive wealth through your, your, your hair, and that can still happen today. So he's talking about something excessive here. He's not talking about, you know, I think plaiting your hair is okay. That's all right. Um, you can do that. He's, he's talking about something excessive here. Um, and it's also uh, with a modesty. So he wants to rule out immodesty. So he's wanting to rule out, he's saying to the women, look, look don't flaunt your status and don't flaunt your body. That's what he's saying. Um, 
And so he's looking for a, just a godly community. He doesn't want a, a sort of a community where the women are sort of decked up like circus horses and the men are fighting over them. It does sound a little bit like a, it does seem a little bit like a soap opera, doesn't it? That he's sort of imagining what is going on in Ephesus. But no, there is to be godliness. Um, and I think it's interesting that, that this thing about the, the women and this, this sort of explicit, excessive display of status and beauty. So, um, so women who are loved by God and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ um, are secure in their status as children of the, the King of Kings. They are clothed in beauty. Um, and so there's a security, I think, here. Why is it that there's often this, this kind of uh, excessive display or con- over-concern for, 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 for beauty or displays of wealth? Is it that that covers an internal insecurity? Why is it that there are so many sort of Instagram posts and things of people just so concerned about the stories, about who they are and what they look like in our generation? Is that masking this inner insecurity of people who are growing up without the knowledge and of a loving father in heaven and without a loving family where they can be secure and grow up. So it's interesting, isn't it, that there's these things about image here and consciousness, which is so contemporary and so many things for us to, to think through here. So we aren't to just avoid these bits, but try and think through them. So the women should be adorned with something even more beautiful. It's not just external adornment, um, but he lists some of these things. Um, hospitality, caring for the needs of the saints. It comes up later on what he means by, by good works. Uh, works which beautify um, and adorn, uh, adorn the church and adorn women. Well, why is this likewise? Well, I, I think I've said this. What it links together is the desire that the church be this godly community, not this soap opera uh, with people sort of fighting over and competing against each other. And that's what it is. If, if in, in a loving family, we don't need to prove ourselves, do we? We can actually love one another. And, and these relationships in the household of God were to be familial relationships, kinship relationships, where you can relate to each other as brother and sister, and father and mother, and son and daughter. That is uh, how the relationships are meant to be in the household of God. So that's a, a, very, it's a very positive thing, I think, that Paul is driving at. So that's uh, the, the first bit, those different commands. And then we move on to these different roles, but uh, rooted here, all rooted in this creation order. Now, much of this uh, little paragraph needs comment and explanation. Uh, what he's saying is the women are not to have the, the office of teaching and authority in the church. And there's a command in verse 11 and a prohibition in verse 12. And then he gives the reason for it, the reason for the command in 13 and 14. So verse 11, it says, let a, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, quietly does not mean silence. He's talking here about calmness. It's actually the same word as earlier on in, in verse 2, where he's urging that prayers be made to kings that we may lead a quiet life. So he's looking at tranquility there. Um, and we shouldn't miss the positive command. It should be noted that the women, the women are to learn. And the root of that that word is to do with discipleship. Women are to be disciples there, to be theologically educated, to be literate. And this was very different to some ancient cultures where women, and well, modern cultures, where women are not permitted educational opportunities. So our daughters are to be as highly educated as our sons and, 
um, in a way that goes without saying in our age. But this is, this is what he's saying, women are to learn. Um, the submissiveness word there is, um, literally it's the word um, subordination, um, um, and the Greek term subordination, or hypertasso, it's got a military use, actually, which is interesting um, as a comparison. It's used to describe an ordered army or a fleet uh, drawn up in battle array, ready to function together as a unit. So it's that sense of uh, our place within uh, an, an ordered world that God has established. Um, and in the broader context of Paul's writing, with, with Christ as, as the head and his church submitting to Christ and his uh, husband as we're submitted to Christ. And so it's this ordered um, structure and this ordered creation. And the church uh, as the household, and he sort of toggles back between the two, the church should reflect that original order with man as the covenant head of his wife and the wife uh, freely submitting and happily submitting to her husband. So submission uh, in marriage is, a, is a, a freely chosen act of a mature spirit-filled woman. It, it's nowhere in the New Testament where it says husbands make your wives submit and keep them submitting. This is a direct command to the wives to, to, to obey. But here that is that term subordination. It's a similar, it comes up as we've been looking in, uh, in Ephesians, that passage in, uh, towards the end of Ephesians. Well, we'll look at the prohibition in a minute, but now um, just look in verse 13 how Paul roots this command and the prohibition in the original creation order there in verse 13. It says this, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So there is this order in the creation which Paul is saying is significant. So Adam was formed first, he was created first from the dust of the ground, and then Eve. So the, the man and the woman were not created as a pair, as a, as a batch, just like there you are, together. But Adam first, and God gave Adam the command. And when God gave Adam the command, Eve had not yet been created. And Adam had to teach and warn Eve uh, said, look, we are not to eat from the tree of knowledge in the middle of the garden, nor eat from it, or we will certainly die. He had to give her that warning, and you sometimes wonder how good a job he did at that. Um, but he was to teach, and she was to listen. And verse 14, we read that Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. So Adam disobeyed, and when he disobeyed, he knew what he was doing was wrong. He, he deliberately disobeyed God. So um, he, he sinned with a high hand. Eve was deceived and says so in that Genesis account. She says that the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, why is Paul mentioning this here? Um, is Paul saying, well, women are just inherently gullible, can't be trusted with the teaching office of the church? Well, no, that can't be the case. We know that Paul worked alongside and worked in partnership with many uh, godly, well-taught women in the church. And we know that there were uh, theologically educated women teaching, uh, and even actually sometimes you see in the scriptures straightening out the men. We think of Pris uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and actually they, they straighten out a, a, a polis, and it seems it's a private setting. The, the women are there, they're teaching. The women are there to, to teach their, their, their families. The women, older women are to teach younger women, and we see many instances of these, the, the women who 
in different contexts, uh, teach the men. Think of the, the, the resurrection account of the women come in and the men don't believe it. It's the women who are saying what is going along. So, so he's not saying, oh, the women are deceived and we just can't trust them to teach anything. They're absolutely hopeless. It's not what he's saying. He's talking about this original creation order of Adam informed first, then the woman. And he's saying, look, we don't want that order, that original creation order to be uh, inverted as it was at the fall. And so... Um, He's concerned that the, the order of the church and the order of the household reflects the goodness of the original order in creation. And so do you see at least that this command and prohibition are rooted in that. Um, so, um, then, so backing up now to, to verse 12, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. There's two things prohibited, the, the teaching of the public assembly and that of exercising authority. Um, and the word here for authority, it's not actually the normal word for authority, just to confuse things. It can be used to indicate a, a domineering kind of authority, but it's, it's only, a, there's only, this word is only used once here in the New Testament. Um, and so some claim that what is prohibited here is not teaching per se, but a kind of teaching which is disorderly and uh, domineering. But I don't think that really fits the flow of the argument of what Paul is, is saying here. Um, some would say that this, this prohibition doesn't apply because it's all rooted in the fall. Um, but I think we've seen it's actually rooted in the original creation order. Uh, some would say, well, this prohibition doesn't apply because Paul is just accommodating himself to the surrounding culture. Um, which I think is probably one of the weakest arguments. Because you've seen very clearly that he's, he's rooting it in the creation order and actually in the surrounding culture there are plenty of women priests you go to the temple of artemis and there are lots of women priests around so this was countercultural then as it is now um some will say well actually what's going on is this is paul is responding to a particular problem particular abuses in ephesus it's not a general command and it, it does seem that there's there are particular abuses here that he's dealing with uh, probably but then he comes back to this norm what should the question is what should the norm be and then he comes back to this original creational order. And some would just say, well, I don't like this. And did Paul really um, write one Timothy after all? And would just call, call doubt on the whole thing. Um, but I think the problem with verse 12 is not that it's particularly unclear, but that it is rather clear. Well, I don't want to uh, flog a dead horse. I probably already have flogged a dead horse in that one. But um, we'll move on to verse 15. As if you thought the preacher was out of trouble. He moves on to verse 15. Yet uh, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul here, he's not, um, he's not introducing a new um, path of salvation for women. It's not that he was... You know, he did go out on the streets of the ancient world with a, you know, Jesus is the only way tracts, and now he's going out to the women and saying, try having a baby. It's not, that's not what he's doing here. Um, nor is he saying that women will be uh, preserved through childbirth, that they won't die, that they'll be saved through childbirth. We, we know that many women, uh, have died, particularly in the ancient world, have died, sadly died during childbirth. Is he alluding to the fact that uh, it, that women are saved through Jesus, who was the offspring of the woman. Well, 
this is, this is certainly a very rich theme in the scriptures and a wonderful one to, to meditate on. The first promise of the gospel was made to, to a woman. It was not made to, to Adam. It was to, to your offspring, he said. The Lord speaks directly to the woman and says, to your offspring uh, will come the one who will crush the, the, the head of the serpent. Um, so uh, we are... Uh, the women are saved through childbearing, and, and the men, we're all saved through childbearing in that sense, because the, the woman was the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I think, uh, although those things are, are all true and are wonderful truths, I think he's probably not driving at that. It's, it's hard to be definitive, but I think what is going on here is he's actually reaffirming the goodness of God's original creational design for women, which includes... Uh, childbearing. Remember the false teachers who wanted to um, redefine or say that marriage wasn't forbid marriage and, and denigrate childbearing and say that it's not good. Well, Paul, I think he's reaffirming the goodness of all this and saying, look, this is a good path to walk in. This is a noble calling. Women will be saved through childbearing. Like this is a, a good path. Keep going with it. A bit like later, he will say to, to Timothy. Um, watch your life and doctrine closely and you'll save yourself and your hearers. He's saying to Timothy, look, here is a good path, here is your calling, persevere in it. And he's saying in, in a general way to the women against this false teaching, look, actually, motherhood, um, that's, that's a great calling, just keep going with it and don't listen to these false teachings. I think it's something along those lines. Now, Paul, he's speaking in general categories here. He knows life is complicated. He knows it's a fallen world. There'll be... Uh, Women who, um, I mean, the, the Bible's full of stories of women who have problems having children, uh, is well aware of the painful realities of life, of famines, and warfare, and just things which interrupt or spoil and ruin God's good creation. So he's speaking here in general categories and saying, look, this is a good path. Don't let anyone denigrate it. Um, and he's not saying that this is the only good work that women can be involved in. You know, they should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. He's not saying that. As we read 1 Timothy and the whole of the New Testament, we see just as a wonderfully rich uh, array of good works that, that he calls all of us to be involved in. Um, and so, but he is just reaffirming the value of, of motherhood. In our culture, I we seem to be rather schizophrenic about this. On the, on the one hand, we... Um, elevate motherhood on the one on the other hand we denigrate it um but uh, you do get that conversation don't you sometimes where, where, where people say to a woman um do, do you work and she'll say no i'm i'm just a mum you know hardly do anything I twiddle my thumbs all day um you, you, we do hear that don't you do, I mean, what's the reply to that do you do you work yes i raise children you know that is, so, so we do sort of somehow denigrate it, but then there's this enormous pressure for, if a woman is to have sort of status, she has to you know, have the, uh, the perfect family, the perfect children, and the high-flying career, and be beautiful, and perfectly turned out, and write books in her spare time. There's this sort of high, you know, this impossible task. And you say, no, 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 actually, uh, having kids, this is a good task. So women, it's a good task. So don't let anyone denigrate it. And don't think, you know, in, in those difficult early years uh, that actually this is, this is okay. This is a calling. You can do this. You don't need to, uh, you, can, you can put off writing the book till later. You can just follow the path that God has for you now and embrace that. So you have these, these different commands, different roles, but actually um, one 
um, household. That is just to, as we come in to, to land, that is where he is uh, driving. He wants to see this one household. We're united under Christ, who is the head of the church. We all submit to Christ, and we are his bride. And it's the household of God which can hold out the gospel to a lost and dying world uh, and to a chaotic and needy world. So I think we might be tempted to think, well, if only the Bible, if only the, the New Testament didn't have these rather awkward passages, evangelism and outreach would be so much easier, wouldn't it? We wouldn't, and the conversations which we sometimes get into around the sort of uh, you know, meal times with relatives, wouldn't those be much easier if this all wasn't here? But actually God's purpose is to establish uh, godly households and godly church families uh, where women uh, can be blessed, where children can grow up secure in the knowledge of God the Father, where the, the unmarried, where widows can be looked after and cared and folded into to the, the household of God and, and honoured, um, and where we might live with these kind of kinship relationships. And that is God's plan to hold out, to a, uh, uh, hold out his gospel in a needy world. And don't we need this? Don't we need this in our world? In modern Britain, where the concept of fatherhood is a disappearing concept. And the concept of the household is a disappearing concept. Uh, The family is considered an oppressive, repressive institution. And many young people are growing up in modern Britain anxious and broken and sad. You know, we're living in a world awash with violence, with pornography. And it's a brutal world for many Many people, young and old. And God's plan is to hold out the gospel within this needy world. So we think, oh, this is going to damage our mission. But actually, if we get a hold of it, uh, if we get a vision for this, as we study the rest of 1 Timothy, as we look into these things, uh, that what God actually wants are households, families and churches which function according to God's original creation and design and which are attractive and where people can come and see authentic lives of love and kindness and, and experience that and be blessed in that. And so let us not abandon this, the goodness of God's original creation order in a world which in many ways has done. Um, and may finally, as I close, I think we just need to do all of this with our eyes fixed on the Lord, with our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Here's the one, here's the The husband who came to seek a bride, he is the one who came from heaven. He is the one who prayed um, for us. He's the one who stretched out his hands, holy hands in prayer. He's perfectly holy. He's the one who stretched out his hands on the cross in love to win a bride to himself. He is the one who stands in heaven, who nurtures and feeds and nourishes his people. He is our Lord. He is the one to whom we bow and to whom we submit. He is the one who has promised to return in glory and to wipe away every tear. He is the one who is faithful, who took a wife and is faithful to his wife. He is the faithful Lord. He will keep his commitments. He is faithful to us now. He will be faithful to return and bring us, bring us back to fully experience that family home where we can live as children of God with great joy as brothers and sisters forever in that redeemed community in the world to come. So let our eyes be fixed on Jesus Christ. And as we try and work out roles and responsibilities in the homes, as we work all these things out, let us just remember that we are to be looking to Christ and to reflect something of the the love of Christ and uh, the, the happiness of the bride and something of that 
uh, in our life together. So may he work these things out in our lives and may he bless us together um, to hold out the gospel here in Gloucester. Well, let me pray. Let me pray for us. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at Gloucester Pres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K. 